pull out your message notes. I'm ready to dive into the message today. Uh, excited to share the word with you. Uh, I really feel like today is going to uh, impact us in a unique way. Now, I, I just want to kind of right off the bat tell you a lot of times I come and I've got a really inspirational word. And I feel like I have one today. Uh, but there are some paradigm shifts that we're going to need to make. And so uh, there are some things that I want to address that may feel a little bit heavy at first. Uh, we are in this series, I Believe in God, But, and really it was birthed out of uh, just the passion to answer tough questions. And how many know sometimes tough questions have tough answers? And so sometimes you have to just say, look, we're going to get in the nitty-gritty. Uh, it's going to get a little real, and, and there are some things that may even shift our paradigm, but I really believe by the end of this, you, you will be inspired to go out and to live life the way God has called us to live it. If I were to title the, que uh, the message today, it would be this, why is life so tough? Like, I believe in God, but, come on somebody, why is life so tough. Why is it that there are so many challenges? Like I thought when I became a Christian, life would be easier, right? I thought <clears throat> when I became a Christian that everything was just going to go real smooth. But now, look, man, my boss is meaner to me now than he's ever been. I've been passed over for promotions six times by people less qualified than me. Come on. My, when, when I became a Christian, I found out my, my mom has cancer. Uh, when I became a Christian, my husband and I have never fought more in our lives until now. Come on, God, I thought it was going to get easier. Like, I don't understand why now, like, we were living for, for the enemy and the devil, and my kids were good. Now we live for God, and they, they're rebellious and living like little hellions. And it's like the world is falling apart, not that you would have little hellions living in your home. But, I mean, can we just get real, right? I mean, for us, many times Christianity, for us, the paradigm was that it was going to be like a movie. Anybody like movies? I love movies. You know, I, I, if, if my wife loves the outdoors, I love movies. And the reason is because it's air-conditioned. I get to suspend reality. Like, like, when we go to movies, I love it because I'm always going to a movie that's going to inspire me, right? I want the underdog to win. I want the hero to beat the villain. I, I, I want the person that nobody thought was going to come back. I want him to come back. Like there's this inspiration that I love because life is tough. Who wants to go watch a, a movie about real life? Anybody? Have you ever watched one of those and you're like, that was the dumbest thing in the world? Like, like I don't want to go watch more real life. I want to go watch things that would probably never, ever happen. And I watched a movie recently. Someone uh, it encouraged me to go watch I Can Only Imagine. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Have you seen it? Like, people were talking about it, and it was the only, I got to be, it was the only good movie out. Like, if there would have been another option, I probably would have saw the other option because it was a Christian movie. And sometimes, you know how Christian movies are. They're like, I'll wait till that comes out on Redbox. Uh, <laughs> But Phyllis and I, I'm just being honest. Can I just be honest? <laughs> I'm sorry. But this one surprised me. Come on, how many were surprised? I was like, what's up? That, that was legit. Like, that was for real, for real. Dennis Quaid did a great job. They, and, and really the whole story is about Bart Millard, who is the lead singer for, for uh, Mercy Me. Anybody heard the story? I'm going to share a little bit. So it's an amazing story of redemption and how God changes his life and his father's life. His mom walks out on him. His dad is abusive physically, 
and verbally. And so Bart runs away from, from his life and he goes and pursues music, which he finds out is a gift that God has given him. But the truth is he's not living out his destiny. He's running from it. And so as he's running, all the doors seem to close on him and, and he's full of pride and he's real shallow and, you know, because he's not going to go deep and deal with issues. He's just going to go try to run from his problems, which is really how a lot of Christians live our life, right? We, we don't want to deal with issues. We want to sing a lot of great worship songs. And I've been guilty of that. I feel like since launching the church, God's made me go deeper than I ever have. And I've been trying to share my journey with you. But Bart experiences this for himself. He goes back to his home and he reintroduces himself back to his dad and they get acquainted. Well, his dad's dying. And Bart didn't know that his dad was saved and that God used Bart's music to really turn his dad's heart to God. And so Bart goes back, he's angry, he's mad, and through the circumstances, God unites them back together. And by the end of his dad's life, because he's sick and dying, Bart says, this is the dad I wish I always would have had. And it's amazing. And then what happens, if you hadn't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you, but you still go watch it. Out of that experience, the, his, his record guy says, look, you need to write from the depths of your soul, what God is doing. And so I can only imagine was birthed out of that. And you guys know that that thing has crossed into secular markets, one of the best uh, recorded songs of all times. And so his story ends in this amazing triumph and, and God moves and his dad and him are restored and life is good. He's traveling in the world, got all these multi-platinum records and gold records and all that. And that's awesome, isn't it? Woo! How many know that's not really real life? That's why it's a movie. For every Bart Miller, there are us. <laughs> People that didn't get to say goodbye to their dad. Their families were not restored. They, they had a dream in their heart, and it's never come to pass. But that's why we love movies, because we can go escape reality, and we can go live someone else's life. So, so here's what I would say. If that's your life, amazing, awesome. But what's the question? What do I do when that's not my life? What I do when my parents won't talk to me, our relationship isn't restored and someone is dying of cancer and they've not been healed yet and life is a mess, my boss is, is ugly and mean, works a mess. What do I do when life is tough? And I want to go back into Matthew 16. This is the chapter that we've been in for the last two weeks. And I want to talk about some things that I think will help us this morning. A passage that we talked about, if you missed, go back and listen to the last couple of weeks, I really believe it'll bless you. You can look it up through Anchor Ben TX on iTunes. You can go back on YouTube or Facebook. But we've been in Matthew 16. Now, Matthew 16 is where Jesus leads his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi into a place of great darkness. And here he asks them a couple of questions. Who do people say that I am? And then who am I to you? And then what we realized was the disciples, Peter namely, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. God revealed to them who Jesus was. And then once we get the revelation of who God is to us, then what happened was Jesus defined who Peter was really. Gave him his identity. And we understand when we uncover our identity, God can unlock our destiny. 
And so we see all of these things take place. But then what I find very interesting is now Jesus is going to tell his disciples, look, you know who I am? I've defined who you are. Let me tell you the life that I'm about to lead. And then I want to share with you the life I need you to live out as well. And we're going to pick up in verse 21. You with me? You with me? Okay, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. That's about a year before he actually suffers these things. So you can imagine their paradigm of Jesus is that he is going to be a ruler, an emperor. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. Surely a man with such great power and the Son of God would not allow the Jewish people to be oppressed. And yet Jesus breaks their paradigm. I didn't come to conquer in the world. I came to conquer in the spirit realm so that you would not have to face death, hell, and the grave. Come on, somebody. That you could experience salvation and eternal life. Now, they don't understand this at that time, but he's telling them, look, my life is going to be marked with suffering and pain and ultimately death. And we know they didn't fully understand it because look at Peter's response. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Jesus, no, 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 never, Lord. He said, this is never going to happen to you. I mean, isn't that interesting? Like, why, why not? Because Peter has an agenda, and it's not God's agenda. And I wonder if sometimes we have an agenda, but it's not God's agenda. So Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, look, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So I, I love it like this. You can be saved and not have God's perspective. So God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. You can be a follower of Christ and still not have God's perspective on your life. And so what my goal is today is I just want us to get God's perspective when life gets tough. And look at what Jesus says. Then he turns to his disciples so he tells them what he's going to face. Now he's going to say, look, whoever wants to be a disciple, everybody say disciple. Now, I want to pause right here before I go any further because we need to understand Jesus' mission was to make disciples. And I know that that sounds good, but what we have to be careful of, he didn't come to make consumers. He came to make disciples. And there is this concern that's deep in my heart, even as I've been preparing this message, is that I wonder if our churches are full more of consumers than disciples. Right? A consumer has the mentality because this is what the American mentality has been nurtured with, and that is it's all about me. Like, I want you to be a great church, and that's awesome, but if I don't feel it, if I don't get what I want when I want it, like the church is Burger King or something, right, your way right away. I don't know anywhere in the scripture where the Bible tells me that it's like Burger King, but that's the mentality that we have, right? It's, it's all about me. So a consumer mentality says that I'm at the focus. And a consumer's mentality is really comfortable because it's what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And here's the thing. If it's not, I'll go to another church. Because there's somebody that will do it the way I want it and how I want it. And, and this is what I've realized. I don't even have the option as to which church I go to. Now, I, I can say that because I was a part of the same church for about 24 years. That's the same pastor, the same people, the same stuff. Well, why didn't you leave? Because God didn't send me. 
God said to stay planted. Yeah, but they, they, did they do everything you like? No, they didn't do everything I like. Did they do everything you want? No. There were moments where I was overlooked. I was hurt. There was hardship. There were moments where I didn't even like what he was preaching. But what I realized was I didn't need what he was preaching. I needed what was in the soil of that church. That sometimes it's the soil that causes us to produce the fruit. And so as a consumer, you just say, hey, yo, yo, I'm going to go check out another church. And you transplant your life into another place, into a different soil. And we wonder why we're not producing what God's called us to produce in our lives. So Jesus says, look, I want you to be a disciple. So a disciple's mentality is totally different, right? A disciple's mentality says that God is the focus. Like, that means, God, where do you want me? It's all about what he wants and how he wants it and where he wants me. And, it's, it, and really, a discipleship mentality is very uncomfortable. Because how many know God will put you in places that are not comfortable? And so you think, well, God, you're stretching me. He's like, yeah, because I got a purpose for you. It says, God, I, it's, what do you like? That, that's why we say all the time at this church, God, whatever you want to do in a church, do it in our church. Why? Because we're inviting his presence in this place that we would be a church full of disciples, not consumers. God, wherever you want our permanent campus to be, let your will be done. I got some ideas right off of 59. Come on, somebody. I got some places marked out. But the truth is, God, wherever you want me, wherever you need us to be, we're going to be a church on mission with your heart, with your passion, and it's all about you. Why? Because he's raising up disciples, not consumers, not consumers. So Jesus makes this plea. Look, if you want to be my disciple, let's continue to read. You got to deny yourself. Ouch. This ain't sounding so good to me. Like, come on, this, this isn't really the sales pitch that I was wanting to hear as a disciple. He says, what else do you have to do? He said, now you got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. Now imagine the disciples. They're probably bewildered. At this moment, now they've just realized this is the Son of God. He is shocking them because they've seen nothing but miracles. They've seen signs and wonders and all the good things. Like, like at this point, how many know the crowd loves them? Jesus walks into a city. Everybody shows up. They're ready to have a party. Why? Because they're being uh, given great gifts, which are miracles and signs and wonders. Why? They are consumers. So as long as it's what I want, how I want it, the way I want it, I will celebrate you. But look, Jesus is saying, come on, to be a disciple, not the crowd, to be a disciple, not a consumer. Look, you got to deny yourself. What's that mean? That means I've got to embrace the fact that I'm not always going to like it. That I've got to embrace the fact that I've got to say no to things I love for the things that he loves. I got to pick up my cross. Now, if you think about it, a cross was an instrument of torture and death. And he's saying, look, you got to pick it up. So there are moments in my life where I got to embrace the thing that was created to destroy me. Whew. I, you, you know, if I, if I was talking about breakthrough, everybody would be shouting, Woo! Breakthrough! Breakthrough! You know, come on, somebody. The blessings of God, we're going to finally, woo! Right? But I'm talking about picking up that thing that was created to destroy you and not running from it, but embracing it. And saying, look, I'm, I'm going to carry that thing, whatever, that cancer. I don't like it. It's not of God. And I'm going to believe that I am healed by his stripes, according to Isaiah 53, 5. But God, as long as I've got to carry this, I'm going to follow you to hell and high water back. It doesn't matter. I'm going to carry whatever sickness. And this is what I know. 
I am believing for a miracle the entire time. I'm believing for breakthrough the entire time. Like whatever I've got to walk through, I am believing God's promises. But what about when life's tough? What do I do? What do I do? Well, the Bible says we just have to deny ourselves. And, and here's the thing. The Bible, nowhere in the Bible, there's not a scripture I've looked, I promise. Nowhere does it say, follow me, life's going to be easy. Nowhere. Nowhere. You know what the Bible says? It says, deny yourself. Let me say no to the things I love. It, it says this. It says, endure hardship. Endure it. Not run from it. Not, not, not say, okay, is there a way to wiggle out of it? Endure hardship. It says, take up your cross. It says this. When someone hits you, turn the other cheek. How many know that ain't fun? I want to fight back. I'm, I, come on, some Rose Rich. We won't fight back. <laughs> and I just got to tell you, I probably will fight back. And so don't be disappointed, Mimi. If I ever get in a fight... I'm still asking God to help me with that one. I'm just telling you. Come on, somebody. somebody. Jesus loves you, baby. Come on. Go to church. I'm just saying. I ain't no punk. I'm still working on that. I'm a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be kind to those who persecute you. That means people are going to persecute you. Be kind to them. Be kind to them. Love them. Bible talks about going the extra mile. When someone asks you for something, don't just do what they ask, do more. Yeah. Bible says, fight the good fight of faith, that it is a fight. I mean, imagine this. Imagine joining the military in times of war. You got a recruiter who's out there says, come on, you got to come join the military. It's going to be amazing. And when they sell you on joining the military, they do it because of all the benefits. They don't tell you about anything bad, but they say, hey, listen, you could join the military. You're going to travel the world. They don't tell you how you're going to travel the world. Uh, you're going to get some cash bonuses. We're going to put money in your pocket right now. Come on. We, we're going to do some things. Oh, did you know that you're going to have 30 days paid vacation per year? Come on, somebody. You get health benefits and dental benefits. Look, you get tax-free housing and allowances. We're going to pay your education. I mean, it's going to be amazing. Join the military. I mean, think about this. If you joined the military and all you heard about were the benefits, how many know you're going to be disillusioned when you realize there is a cost to joining the military? Did you know you got to go through eight and a half weeks of boot camp? Anything called boot camp, I don't know that I want any part of it. Like, I'll do it, but, woo, but eight and a half weeks of someone yelling at me, talking about my mama, telling me to get up in the mornings, do push-ups and... I mean, but, but, but they didn't tell me about that. You know, they didn't tell me about the hot days and the long nights and the eating the MREs, being out on the battlefield with the enemy staring me down with the gun. They didn't tell me about missing my kids and my wife and, and not even belonging to myself, but once I signed the line on the dotted line, now I belong to the U.S. government. Any of my soldiers say, amen, pastor, that's right. No, no. They didn't sign up for the benefits. If you've ever been in the military, you signed up to fight for the freedom of those you love. You signed up because you wanted to fight in a just cause, that you wanted to defend our country, that as messed up as it might seem at times, it's the greatest thing that we've ever had the ability to experience. Freedom, how many know God bless America? That's why you sign up. And when you sign up, 
to protect those you love, to, to fight for a just cause, then what happens is when those rough times come, you didn't join for the benefits, you joined because you were fighting in a just cause. So you can endure the hard times, you can endure the struggle, you can endure the pain, but what I'm concerned about is as Christians, we didn't get sold the truth, we got sold a lie. And this is where we have to just be careful. Like Christianity, there are benefits. Look, God's going to bless you. There are thousands of blessings in the word of God. But, but what we have to be careful of is did you sign up so that God would give me prosperity? Did you sign up so that God would make me happy? Did you sign up so that God would give me comfort and stability and that, that I would be entertained on Sundays and just go to a place that would entertain my families? Did we sign up so that we could have our best life right now? Now, let me just tell you this. Those things are awesome. And I believe that we can't have our best life, but sometimes we think through the lens of consumer Christianity, we will recognize that we have been disillusioned, we have been sold a lie, because the truth is those things are good in and of themselves, but I didn't sign up to be a Christian for the benefits. I signed up because I was headed straight for hell, and there is a God who loved me so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, died a cruel death so that I might be saved because the penalty for death or sin is death I deserve death but he saved me and that's why I am a follower of Jesus Christ not for all the benefits though he gives us great benefits though amazing things happen I've got to believe and know it is because he saved me so it doesn't matter what I walk through yet will I praise him that though life gets tough, though I don't understand everything that's happening, God, I'm going to praise you. God, I'm going to worship you because my focus is on you and not on me. Look at what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. He says, endure suffering, Timothy. Endure it. Along with me. So look, Timothy, you're not the only one going through hardships and trials. But I'm going through it as well. And then look at his analogy here. Look at what he says. As a good soldier... As a good soldier, the mentality of we signed up in our Christian faith to fight the good fight of faith. That Jesus, we love you, that our eyes are on you, that our focus is on you, and we choose to be good soldiers in this life. And knowing that, we have to understand that pain is part of the process. We don't want to experience pain. We have a tendency to avoid pain at all costs. I mean, we want to run when it gets hard. We want to have easy situations and circumstances. And if we don't understand true discipleship, we will always run from things when it gets hard. And then when we have questions, look, I mean, the questions, there's nothing wrong with it. Look, why, why is life so tough? Why? Because we live in a fallen world. We are disciples of Jesus. And there's a real enemy trying to steal, kill, and to destroy our lives. That's why it's tough. That's why we walk through struggles of life. And if we don't understand this, we will allow discouragement to cause us to get our eyes off of God. We'll become mad and angry and disillusioned and we'll want to quit. Why? Because it was never about him. It was all about us. And I want to encourage you. I, I want to help you understand. Look, it's not always bad. These are tough questions. Many of you are going through the good times of life. You're like, Pastor, that sounds bad. And it is. And if you're going through the good times of life, celebrate it. Just know this, good times don't last forever, somebody. 
We go through peaks and we go through valleys. We go through good times and we go through bad times. But the amazing part of it is that God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And if we understand that, we will never allow circumstances uh, to cause us to be disillusioned. We'll never surrender our faith to the environment we're walking through. Why? Because he is the focus. There never was a promise for safety and security, which is what we need to know too, is that God is good, but he's not safe. Probably not going to get a lot of amens on that. Listen to me. So, so, so here's where, I, and it, we're about to go into some inspiration, I promise you. <laughs> you got to understand, God is good, but he's not safe. There is a common misconception that has been filtering through the Christian circles that I really today, right now, hope we have a paradigm shift of, that it breaks the paradigm. And it's this, the safest place to be is in the middle of the will of God. Now, that is a great tweetable phrase. And that's what I've seen people tweet. Woo, the safest place to be is in the middle of God. And everybody amens it. And, and you, you think, well, okay. But have you ever really thought about that? I mean, the safe, like really the safest place for me to be in the will of God? Uh, is to be in the will of God. Look, look at Jesus. He, here's a couple of examples. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, so he's full of the power of God, which you are in here as well when you've been born again, saved. You're full of the power of God. He said, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So look at this. God, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't know about you, but that don't sound safe. You're going to take me right to my enemy, and you're going to have me be in a position of hunger, fatigue. Physically, his body would be broken down through the fast. And in the middle of that, it didn't say the enemy came and attacked him. It said the Holy Spirit, God, led him into the wilderness. Anybody ever been in a wilderness experience? So how many know sometimes we always blame the devil? And I don't believe, see, see, God didn't do the tempting, the devil did. But sometimes God will lead us into places that are uncomfortable. And when you're a consumer, you're like, oh, baby, that ain't for me. That's for them over there. That's, that's him. That ain't me. Like Jesus, you said I'd be blessed and not stressed. Come on. I, tell me I'm not for real. Because our paradigm is, sometimes he leads us into the wilderness. But here's the beauty of it. He had the power of the Holy Spirit, which we need in our churches today, in our lives today. Why? Because it's what gives us the power to defeat the enemy, even when we're in the middle of the wilderness. Come on, somebody. So, I mean, here's just another example of God's good, but he's not safe. Think about Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, think about it. Here you have Jesus. He's going to pray. He's about to give his life up. He knows what's about to happen. He didn't walk into the garden and say, Whoo! I'm about to be beat. Isaiah said his visage was marred more than that of any other man, which means he was disfigured more than anybody has ever been in the history of humanity. And he knows this. He didn't walk into the garden. Now, he loves you and he loves me, but he loves the Father more. 
And so his humanity cries out. He's begging God, God, please, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be. Let it happen. Please don't let me go to the cross. He's, he's implying to God, God, is there another way? Like, I know you're in heaven. I've been on earth. It's been 33 years. Yo, pops, is there another way? Is there something different that I can do? And yet we see through his prayers the, the drops of great blood that have sweat through his brow. And he doesn't run from the cross. He embraces the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. Tell Jesus God was safe. God's plan for the whole time was that Jesus would go to the cross. And this is what I would say. Look, God is good. God loves us. God cares for us. God cares about every pain that you have, every situation of frustration and anger and bitterness, every person that has ever done you wrong, every situation that has broken your heart. God cares about every minute detail of your life. But you have to know that if our focus is on him, we will walk through the wilderness at times. And when life is tough and we say, God, why is life so tough? Sometimes it's just tough. Sometimes God is going to use, well, all the time the Bible says that God works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That there is no pain that he doesn't turn into purpose. So we've got to realize this, that God, we want your desire to be fulfilled, your purpose to be fulfilled in our life. Look at how Paul says this. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Look at what he says. This is Paul. He's been afflicted with something. We don't know exactly what it was. We just know that it caused him great pain, enough pain to really, really call him to plead with God. God, get rid of this thing. Look, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. How I many know when you've been pleading with God three times, something is bothering you? Like something is bothering him. God, would you take it away? But he said to me, this is God's response to Paul, and this is what I think some of our response is that we should receive this morning. My grace, everybody say, my grace, my grace. is sufficient for you. What's grace? That's God's power and his desire. So his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. How many know that's a problem life? And, if, and so here's my challenge, and this is even for me. You know, we get frustrated if we don't get that parking spot. Oh, God, I was praying Psalm 512 for favor, and they got in front of me. You know, you gave them that holy finger. Praise them. You know what I'm talking about. Just, just hide your anchor bin sticker on your car. Just, just kind of. But it's all right. They'll know you're a work in progress anyway. I mean, you get mad about a parking spot, right? We get mad if we got overlooked for promotion. Look, Paul's walking through some insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties. I mean, he's about to give his life away, and he says, for when I am weak, I am strong. Why? Because in our weakness, God's power is made perfect. So you're walking through the wilderness, it's a great time for God's power, for his grace to be perfect in your life. It's a great time for us to surrender and say, God, I can't do it. I want to quit. Some of you came in this morning, you're ready to quit. You might be here this morning and this is your last chance with God. You said, I'm giving up. I'm throwing in the towel. That's great. You're in an amazing place because God's grace is sufficient for you this morning, right now. <laughs> 
And Paul, we know what happens is he ends up, he started complaining, but he ends up rejoicing and celebrating. God, you are a good God. Your grace is sufficient for me. Because what he understands is that we're a work in progress. That we're walking through some stuff. And I think sometimes we believe this lie, like I've got to have it all together. But I think God celebrates the mess. See, God celebrates our progress, but the world celebrates the finished product. But nowhere in the Bible does he glorify the finished product. God glorifies the process. And we got to be careful in our culture. We, we subconsciously only glorify the finished product, right? I mean, look at Instagram. Anybody got Instagram? So, so Instagram and Facebook. I mean, I'm a pastor. Nobody Instagrams the inst- empty seats out in the congregation, somebody. There's 20 people. Woo, look, 20 people showed up today. God's moving. I mean, students, look, you, you didn't Instagram your F that you got, right? You didn't say, good, another F. <laughs> no, no, you Instagram the graduation. Look, I made it. Barely, but I made it. Right? You don't Instagram the, the marriage that, that you're fighting through, the hell that you're watching. You don't Instagram your fight where somebody just threw a plate up against the wall. Look, another broken plate. God's moving in my marriage. This time it didn't hit me. No, no. No, no. Come on. Can we just get real? No, we're, we're like Dwayne and Leslie. We take the pictures with the umbrellas and kissing. I look at your pictures, I'm like, it's so surreal, like it's awesome, it's awesome. I want my marriage to be like their marriage. <laughs> Nobody Instagrams your kids like punching each other and kicking each other. Oh, there they are, I'm an amazing parent. <laughs> no, it's the portrait. After you have literally sat there and threatened their very life to smile, you know what I mean? If you don't do this, I will kill you. Like literally, I will kill you and nobody will care. Nobody, 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 nobody. I won't even care at this point, right? No, you got your perfect little family. Right, nobody Instagrams their progress and the problem with that is then we forget to praise the progress. God never said, you know when the finished product happens? When we're in heaven. Like, man, I got shortcomings and failures, and I walk through tough times just like you. There's moments where I feel alone or moments where I feel great victory, and then I feel great defeat, and I'm like, God, why? And, and so what we have to understand is God loves us just the way we are. He loves our mess. And if we're not careful, we will glorify the end in product, and the whole time, you know what we say? We're disqualified for service. Like, if I'll serve on the dream team. That's why I celebrate our dream team. I love our dream team, and I love everybody else, but I really love our dream team. You know why? Not because they got it all together. We're laughing because you know those stories are the way our families are. It's crazy. But what they discovered was this. Even if I'm in the wilderness... Even though I'm not to the finished product, even though I'm still struggling in my marriage or my kids are not acting the way I want them to act or life's not happening, you know what I choose to do? I choose to be a disciple and a disciple focuses on what God focuses on. You know what God focuses on? People. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. So when as the church did we get a consumer mentality 
This is, it's all about me. It's all, it's all about me. La, la, come on, play that song again. Do it again. You know, come on, preacher, you better preach. Come on. What if I have a bad sermon? You going to leave? What if somebody makes, that's my, my girl right there. I love her. What if somebody doesn't say hi to you? What if you get overlooked? Well, I mean, so, so we got to say, look, maybe you're walking through the wilderness, and this is what I learned. In my life, God will never lead me to what he has next until I embrace where I'm at now. That's, and when we bypass the process, what we do is we, we shortchange God's progress. Because we go to only places where people will tell us what we want to hear. There is a church that will do exactly what you want. But my question is, would they be reaching the lost? I, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, because there are a lot of times God tells me to do things that I don't necessarily like or want. But I have to always go back to this. And, and maybe it's because of the mess I came from. Maybe it's because I realized. I mean, I didn't start out to be a pastor or somebody. Like I was called. Like God literally. I walk into a meeting. I'm like, whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm going to launch a church? Okay. All right. God, I'll do it. But the only thing I said to God was, God, let us be a place where people can have moments. Let us be a place that we never forget your heartbeat for the lost. That no matter how hard it gets, and trust me, life gets tough, we say, God, I'm focused on you. Because discipleship is all about him. And it says, okay, God, work it out. And, and this is what I tell you here. I want you to notice, there's a lot of great moments in life. I mean, God does things, he blows your mind, and it's always cool with God because I never, like for me, when I'm struggling in one area, he gives me another area. I'm like, well, at least that's not struggling so bad. Like, like he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, but we got to be careful that we didn't sign up because we're consumers. We signed up because we're in need of a Savior. God, save me. And then we're just like the soldiers, right? What do they do? They sign on the dotted line. They become the property of the U.S. government. When we experience salvation, we say, God, I'm no longer, it's not about me, no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Whatever you want. God, whatever you want to do in the church, whatever you want to do in my life, I know that life gets tough, and I don't have all the answers, but when life gets tough, God is all that I need. God, you're all that I need. I'm going to focus on you. And let me tell you this. Sometimes... We don't experience victory on this side of eternity. But we're not living for this world. You, you say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? There are people that die all over the world for their faith. But what they did was they kept their eyes on eternity. I know this. This life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. But when we step into eternity, it's see him face to face. The Bible says he's prepared a place for us. That all the things we've gone through, that there are treasures stored for us in heaven. It's an amazing thing. And then we get to spend eternity with him, our Lord, our Savior, our Creator. It's amazing. So what do you do when life gets tough? Don't quit. Stay plugged in. Get our minds right and say, God, I'm going to embrace where you have me right now. It may not be easy. It may not be what I want. But when I embrace it, I'm released, God. You'll send me to the next. It'll happen. Your time. Whenever you want it to take place. I just want to pray over you this morning. <clears throat> I'm believing some of you walked in today and just, I'm asking God really to shift your thinking and your paradigm. That he would help you in your heart to realize that he's never left you. Never forsaken you. 
Stop trying to put yourself together. See, while we're trying to put ourselves together, the world is falling apart. We should have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm here, use me, broken. I, that's the gospel message is I'm broken. I'm a work in progress. And your grace covers all the cracks. You put it back together. And I'm so thankful for that. But God, we never stop. We never lose sight. We continue to move our lives in the direction of your truth. Father, I pray for every person in this place, God, that you would use them in a powerful way. God, use this moment to inspire them, to help them, Lord, to reframe our thinking. God, that we would not have our eyes on ourselves, but our eyes on you. And God, when life is tough, it, it, it's something that we understand is only for a season, not forever. And even if it is, if you never did another good thing for us, which we know you will, but even if you didn't, we will serve you. We will love you. Your benefits are awesome, but you're better. The things you do for us, that's great. But God, you're the true treasure of our lives. And we embrace you. We embrace the moments that you put in our hearts and in our lives where we connect with you. God, fill us with your grace. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your strength. Maybe just tell him right now whatever you need from me. I feel his presence in this place. Just whatever it is that you feel him speaking and doing in your life. Just respond. God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we worship you. We surrender our lives to you fully and completely. God, there's been moments in our lives, maybe you've lived like a consumer, and this morning the, the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Just repent. That's, that's what I do. When I find myself slipping into the consumer mentality of discipleship, I just say, God, I see that I'm allowing that to get on me, and Father, I just I repent of that. I am a true disciple. It's not about what I want. God, it's all about you, and we just repent. We listen and we obey. God, what do you want me to do? Some of you, listen, it's time for you to join the dream team. You've been thinking, I'm too much of a mess. I'm, my life's not put together. I, I, I don't have it all put together. God's saying, right now, today's your day. What do you do? You just need to go to next steps. We don't have it today because of baptism, but next week you just go into the class. It's a four-week process. By the fourth week, you're going to be able to join a team, and God's speaking to you. You just need to do it. Take the next step of your faith of your journey. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. Move in such a powerful way. There's some of you here this morning right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. You've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. So his presence is in this place. He's drawing on your heart. But you realize, look, I've lived like a consumer and maybe you've never surrendered to him fully. So this is your moment. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to just lead us in a prayer of surrender. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward, but you're sitting here right now, and maybe you're feeling convicted. It's like, God, right now in this moment, I want to surrender everything. I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you showed up this morning. You haven't been to church, maybe never. Someone invited you. You came because of the baby dedication, and in this moment, you realize my life needs to be surrendered to him. I'm hungry for something real. This is your moment. So wherever you are, heads bowed, eyes closed, that's you. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. I want you to raise your hand just as an act of surrender in this place. Right now, right where you're at, I see your hand. Raise it up high, bold. I'm ready to surrender my life to him fully and completely. Man, amazing. Amazing. Come on, church, tell them how proud you are of them in this moment. <clears throat> this is what I want to do. 
You raise your hand in church in general. Let's pray this prayer. It's not the prayer that saves us. It's the condition of our heart. Just call out to him. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. I need you. Right now, in this moment, I give you everything. I give you my life. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give it all to you. I surrender. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, come on. Worship him. Thank you, Lord.